The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Freshman hole, riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking. Yeah, can none of y'all mirror me back? Yeah, hear me rap, it's like hand G rapping is prime. I'm young HO, rap's great for dead. Back to take over the Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. I'm your host, Blake Howard. My partner in crime, always in so deep she almost forgot, is the wonderful QA film critic extraordinaire. You would see her on Instagram highlights all the time. It's Katie Walsh. <laughs> Hello, 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 hello. Yes, uh, uh, the Oscars are on Sunday. I am freed from moderating every Q&A in Los Angeles, so I'm very happy. <laughs> Listen, I keep telling you, why isn't SS Rajmuli on the show um, talking? Oh um, my God. Talking Miami yes. Vice. Well, that, that's another thing. Now, <laughs> let's skip Oscar-nominated uh, filmmakers and let's go to people that we've been stalking online in the most generous and positive way i think there i think that's a you know it gets a bad rap <laughs> online stalking um uh, all the time we are a fan of this man who is one of the great tweeters about miami vice he has many great twitter threads that's how we've encountered him if you uh, are a letterboxer you would see that it's in his top four tiles um which is a uh, very exciting we've been stalking this person for a long time and waiting for an opportunity to get together he's the host of the sleazoids um uh podcast which also has a letterbox and also has a patreon so check that out josh lewis welcome to miami nice my friend thank you so much for being a part of the show we're excited to talk to you no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad that it's enough of the brand that someone would even think of me when it came, you know, the no, uh, the obsessive this... of Miami Vice. I mean, it's quite a movement now. There's lots of us, you know. Like it's not just there's, a couple people anymore. There's dozens of us. Um, <laughs> it is part of your brand. We have been trying to get you for a while, so we finally pinned you down. Well, yeah, it's there... <laughs> and it's it's also that it's also now starting to get to a certain point that a, a lot of our a lot of our listeners and and people who are our patrons and stuff like that we have a discord and so like your name comes up like good people tweeting good shit about miami vice will just usually get attention like it's not just that it's in the timeline now it's in the discord and people share it around and have you seen this and things like that so yeah i think we're around and also just when people have dumb opinions about miami vice that's when you really know that there's you really know that there's a fandom because people are like, what is this? What there's is going on? What 400 is quote tweets, like <laughs> just pure fire, <laughs> anger, rage. <laughs> yeah, that's so, our people. That's, that's our where pe we traffic. We that's... go through the quote tweets. We say, who's, who's here? We're going to get them on our podcast. <laughs> so we haven't had a chance to talk together um, about, anything on the show before so it's exciting to talk to you so can you take us to your miami vice journey and i know that you certainly have been like on the island for a long time you've obviously got your you know exploitation flick podcast sleazoids and your physical mm -hmm. media nut which is exciting as well because katie and i both are definitely that but how, how did the the trance of miami vice hit you like what 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 was the experience for you would like to ask that as a first starting point before we kind of dive into you know, what's continued to make it resonate and elevate itself above other films for you and, and you know, be proud enough to be in that rotation. Yeah, I mean, I've had an interesting relationship with it where basically I watched it kind of before I knew that there was any, like how well it did or whether there was any, or even really before I knew like that much about Michael Mann in general. Yes. Um, and so when I watched it, my first reaction was just mesmeration by the way that it looked the way yes. that it looked especially i was like i have never seen anything that that looks like this and why have i not seen anything else that looks like this and why does a thing that like my dad it's like a cop show or something i don't really <laughs> quite you know like i don't I, I can't quite put two and two together and it kind of started an obsession with you know he was michael mann became one of the 
earlier filmmakers for me where I went through the catalog and obviously he's such a there's such a consistency to his obsessions that you know it it, it became my own obsession to start cataloging his and finding out like these things and they became my own in a way and so that was immediately off the bat. Um, and then I found out many years later, I was like, oh, wait, this was not a well-received movie. And this was like an insanely expensive bomb uh, for him. <laughs> and I was like, so completely divorced from all of that in entirely uh, when I first uh, watched it. And uh, yeah, it was part of one of the earlier films that got me into even like finding writing online of people who also liked a certain thing. Because it was, you know, I wasn't hugely aware of even what, critics really did until it was it was this film and honestly a film that i see as a little bit of a companion in terms of some of its look uh spring breakers was yes. the other I film i love spring breakers i'm obsessed with spring i breakers. worked at the downtown uh toronto young and dundas cineplex which was the only theater that was playing it in limited release when it opened and I was just a, a ticket guy. I was just taking ticket, and and I have never seen any w more walkouts for a film in my entire life. Um, and I was like, okay, well, clearly I need to go watch this movie. And then I went and watched it, and I had the similar experience where I was just mesmerized by it front to back. And I worked at the theater, so I was just able to stay after work every. I probably watched that thing in theaters like seven or eight times. I and, saw it four uh... times in theaters, like <laughs> buying a ticket. And I had this thing. We're like the first time I saw it, I had like a little bit of whiskey and a little bit of weed, and it just like was the perfect combo to watch that movie. <laughs> so I kept every time I brought a friend to see Spring Breakers, I was like, we have to have a little bit of whiskey and a little bit of weed. <laughs> and it'd yeah. be like eleven in the morning, and I'd be like, no, we got to do the combo <laughs> to get. Yeah, well, and, 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 and the way that that movie drifts like a music video to it, I feel like it benefits from that kind of uh, experience with it. Yeah, totally. It's I, I love I'm so deeply obsessed with that movie. Also, I'm obsessed with Scarface and I feel like Spring Breakers <laughs> is like the girly Scarface. And if I ever get a chance to like extensively write about both of those films, like that's that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. But I love that Miami Vice kind of fits into that that uh, realm, that South Florida. Yeah, well, I, I found out many years later that Harmony Corinne apparently watched Miami Vice like on repeat before doing Spring Breakers. He, it's the only film that he says that he was actually influenced by before making that. I did not know that. Wow. Harmony yeah. Corinne, get on the yep. podcast. What are yeah, you doing? Find Harmony Corinne. Find Harmony Corinne next. And one more reclusive <laughs> filmmaker to add to the list of people to get onto this show. Um, yep. It's so funny, the context, the contextless experience that you had. Because I love that. Like, you know, Katie and I talked to many people and I was definitely um, at this time, like really into film criticism and you know, so I, I, I saw it bomb and I remember having that like disjointed experience, but it's funny. It feels like the black hat fans um, that Katie and I have coined as the soy boys, we call um, the soy boys <laughs> out there. They had that experience kind of now because they kind of weren't aware of black hat when it came out. It's come onto streaming services. They're comparing it to contemporary kind of like genre thrillers. And they're like, this movie rules. Like it, ha it has a look, it has a feel, it is different. And okay. not see, I'm a black hat old head technically because yeah. I was there opening weekend. I <laughs> saw it twice on opening weekend, and <laughs> it didn't make it to its second week in Toronto. So, listen, you're still a soy boy. You're a soy Anybody boy. who yeah. loves black hat is a soy boy. You're an OG soy boy. And yes, I was in Australia. It's funny you say that, Josh, because Canada, like outside of the American experience, they were like, Michael Mann's coming to Australia. All right, this is well before I was doing One Heat Minute, and I was like, oh my god, Michael Mann's coming to Australia. Chris Hemsworth, Australia's biggest current movie star, other than maybe Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman, right? Like big movie right. star is in this movie. We're going to have a big international premiere and I'm writing to the publicist who I know quite well. I know the people at Universal. So I was like, had a good relationship with them. I'm like, I have to be there. I don't care if I'm like a red carpet person, but like meeting Michael Mann in person would just mean the world to me. And then they canceled, they canceled the premiere with the biggest movie star in Australia who was currently playing Thor. And then they basically canceled the release. Like it didn't No. Like, oh it, like it, it was in cinemas for like a week and then it was gone. Like not a second week. Like I don't even think it made it past opening weekend. By the Sunday, it was off the tick. Like like a, a one cinema in Oz had it maybe. Um, And so it was like one of those experiences. Oh, it, it bombed where... so hard, Universal took a, an insurance claim out on it. It's oh very rare that a studio does something. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's Holy bad. Shit. Yeah, big time. And so that's that's where we get we, we arrive. It's like you're an original soy boy, and Katie and I were on that journey with Miami Vice. So it's really interesting, but it's also that great thing. That's the one thing that I like 
that about contemporary like streaming is that people can come to things without any of the baggage of the yeah. the discourse yeah. around it and just experience it and be like I love this so much. And then you immediately, you know, you hit Twitter or you hit Letterboxd or something like that. And you can find your people, like people who are like, this rips. And you're like, oh, cool. I'm going to follow this person on Letterboxd or Twitter. I'm going to follow them. I, I, I like this. So yeah, you can find your people, which is great. And and hence why we found you. So let's, let's jump back now. You saw it out of context for its time. Mm. You want, didn't have any of the baggage that maybe some of those original people saw it, but you, one thing that people can learn about you, even just on your letterbox and on your Twitter, is like you're a massive consumer of all sorts of films. Like you, you will watch everything. You have a massive appreciation for all different kinds of films. Why then has Miami Vice maintained the rage for you? And what particular moments, scenes, segments mm. do you think are, are kind of your scenes? Like if if you're on the desert island and you're doing sort of like the clip show for Josh Lewis, what's the desert island clips that uh, are going to be part of that and uh, in Miami Vice? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the main things is one of the things we try really hard to do do on our our podcast is that we we uh, and, and where my interests kind of collide is that um, we are all about full artistic expression. Uh, and the reason we're so interested and got so interested in exploitation movies was um one also i'm a fan of genre films it's worth noting it's just genre films in general i kind of I, I like the consistency of it i like being able to pick up what different artists do with it um but the the thing that was so attractive about exploitation movies was um the lack of money that those films had yes. uh, and the fact that they had to follow a certain kind of trend and they were like well this is kind of a popular film and we can get a little bit of money if we just make up a poster uh, but then the lack of money means that they had full creative control over something and they didn't have someone, you know, telling them that they needed to adhere to this or any sort of taste lines or guidelines. And so a lot of the time in exploitation, you know, you get some garbage for sure. And we dumpster dive. We do. It's part of the <laughs> part, part of the process. But the magic moment is when you find just like pure artistry, someone trying to express some deep seated thing that they were going through that they felt some history that they have and it made its way into a packageable piece of entertainment in some way and so uh Miami Vice for me has always been and the reason it's maintained its its place I just put it in my sight and sound top 10 when I was able to vote and the reason for me that I, I justified it was because it is in my mind the perfect merging of you have a you know all of the macho existential genre stuff that i that i love and someone you know the, the guys driving fast cars and shooting people and it's gruesome <laughs> and it's horrible and it's also just like it's it's practically an experimental art house movie and like so people being able to play with style and being able to really get you to feel something in the same way is you know what's always really appealed to me about what we do which sounds strange because most people when they talk about like a genre podcast they're like oh you guys talk about like horror movies you just like when they get stabbed or whatever and i'm like no my personal fealty is just to creative expression and uh exploitation movies were a surprisingly uh, good venue for a lot of outsider artists to get their opportunity to do that and so miami vice is like the high the most expensively budgeted version of that for me <laughs> yeah i like that you say that i mean i a lot of times people will ask me like oh why do you like horror movies and i'm like well, because I just think that like they're I like seeing the most creative expression, like you say, of what cinema can do and how genre allows so much of that like play and that um, experimentation that we don't often get to see in like more mainstream films. And like I just like to see stuff I've never seen before. And it doesn't have to be that it's violence or, you know, content is in any way extreme. It's just like I think the rules are a little bit. Um, more flexible in terms of, you know, style and form and and anything you can do. And so I love the way you relate that to Miami Vice. And horror, you know, even now, Shutter is a really exciting streaming service for that. It's like it's like you see a new thriller come up or a new horror film, and you see all these new voices, and you know that Shutter's just got like this little budget, and they're like, go and play with this much money because we can put it in our streaming service, and we know that it's okay. It's not like seemingly. Netflix and Amazon just go, okay, what do you need for this? Okay, you need 10 million. All right, take 350 billion. 
And they, someone's like, what? And they're like, yeah, it takes around 50 billion to go make it. Whereas like those little streaming services like Shudder are like, all right, well, this is a $2 million movie. Go take your 2 million and go do whatever the hell you want. Just come in under budget, come in on time. It's going to be released at this time. Do whatever you need to do. And that creative, I guess that like ingenuity comes out of those constraints. And some of the most exciting filmmakers who are now getting bigger and bigger deals they seem to have this little farm that are in Shutter because they start out there. It's like the Harvey Corman thing of like, oh, you can go make a movie. Here's a little genre thing. Here's like no money. Um, go make it. Like go try it. If it makes money, you can do another one. If it doesn't make any, and it's a calling card. Like if, if it makes no money, there you go. So no, it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that Michael Mann's that guy for many years had like constraints on the amount of budget that he could use and do that and still working in the system. But you're, you're you know, We've heard so many great stories about Miami Vice of like the big one is, you know, wanting to go to a Ferrari. So then he gets flown in a private jet to Italy to view the Ferrari they're going to use in the movie. And then they fly the car back in like a Hercules back to Florida so that they can use it for like three scenes and then it gets flown back. And that's just that's how you scope out a movie uh, car rather than just looking at it in a pamphlet or trying to see what was available in Florida. It's like, no, I want this very specific limited edition, six of them made in the world Ferrari that, you know, Sonny is going to drive down this highway in the middle of the night. Like that's, that's Michael Mann shit. That's the coolest stuff. Yeah. Which speaking of which, if, if you wanted to bring up a scene, that would be one of my scenes to immediately uh, go to, which is the very, very early on. It was the, pretty much the scene where I was like, oh, this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, which was in the opening where they're cross cutting between the like dirty meet and greet with the Aryan Brotherhood that's going wrong. And you have the moment where the snipers come in and they you know the you see what a barrett 50 cal can really do to uh, a piece of steel in a human body in that moment which is you know for me it was like shocking because i was like oh this is like it's very dreamy and and expressive but also it's like there's clear journalistic research into on a technical level what this thing could do to someone's body that's that's horrible and you know is is part of the part of the work that these guys do but the scene right after that when it's revealed that John Hawks is the one who gives up those guys to the feds. And there's this amazing scope framing of uh, both Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx talking to John Hawks on the side of the highway. And it's this real freeway. You can hear the cars going by and it's framed so that we're constantly actually watching the cars go by them. And, you know, they're, you know, he's he's being like, you know, I, I got to get to my family. We got to figure something out. It's cross cutting to where you're finding out that his family has just been killed and the phone is ringing and just Jamie Foxx looking into his face and going, you don't need to go home. You know, like you're they've been killed. You're and that's it. And he did all of this for that specific reason. And so all of a sudden, you know, he did everything they asked. His family was still murdered and you get that slow shot. POV of it just drifting the framing of the shot going out of focus as you're you know completely from the point of view of this guy in this psychological state and he just suddenly steps in front of that truck and all you get is the audio completely clips away as the truck honks and that blood streak coming out the bottom cut to them driving away in the Ferrari from the horrible scene in the in the two frame shot with the street lamps and I was going like that to me, it's like you get a quick psychological subjective insert, this like sudden, gruesome, physical shock moment, and then it's back to work. Like that's the job that these guys do. And that was probably like the most expressionist way that, you know, someone could possibly depict what that experience must be like on the ground. Yeah, the big part for me is exactly as you said, is in so many other movies, the guy whose family dies becomes a key plot point. You know, like if you're talking about the most yeah. generic conventions, like, oh, he's going to get revenge and we're going to help him get revenge and da-da-da-da-da, and it's all this stuff. And then it's like, no, the despondency of that moment and the way that the camera fades and makes you adopt his psychological perspective, when it happens, it's just like, this is like the death and the intensity of this moment, the only way that the guys who are observing it can survive is to keep moving. And I remember that shot. And I think we've said this a few times, Katie. It's like, if you have John Hawks in your movie, extra star. If you have John Ortiz in your yeah. movie, extra star, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, if you have- They've got five, all the guys. <laughs> if you're out, yeah. you out of five stars, you just look at the cast here. It's a two-star movie before you even, like, turn it on. Like, it's all, it's all over, right? Yeah. Um, Justin so, Theroux, Eddie just, Marson. You just start throwing them all in. You're like, yeah. all right. I, uh, guess I don't we even got need it. to rate this. It's a five-star movie. Where we, <laughs> yeah. Where, 
the content doesn't matter but it's um i think that like when you see that moment the 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 heightened performance that he has to give and how much he has to give for that character to sell and to show just how deep and entangled they are and so how important their informants are to them and their survival it's just such a like that like life and death vignette and bang we're back to the story which is actually the story you're like is it going to be this guy neptune no that's not the story is it just going to be these guys from the trailer park yes and no it's not and then it just gets bigger and scales bigger and bigger and then it comes back but no i i adore that scene i think we've talked about that scene a lot on the show for people yeah who just it makes like, sense yeah it's 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 a it's, great scene and it it changes sort of like the tenor it like immediately gets us on to like what we because we've been doing this whole neptune thing and it's the nightclub and the drinks and all this stuff and then it's like oh no this is serious and it like informs so much of what's going to come later and the emotional arcs that people are going on and the camera work like that drifting camera is so cool um, I also like just as an aside, I'm obsessed with like the moment when you start to love the movie. Like I'm constantly <laughs> chasing that. I'm like, mm. am I on board with this? Am I on board with this? And then like something clicks or something doesn't, and you're just like, yes, I love this. I'm so in. Or it never happens, and it's a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like this movie. This is the moment. I mean. Maybe it's just the numb encore. I'm, I'm, we're, we're so we're so Miami Vice peeled at this point that as soon as I hear numb encore, I'm like, I I couldn't not. Oh yeah, the this first movie. two notes before it even like you know <laughs> dun, dun, before it dun, even dun, dun, cuts dun. in. Yeah, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, this movie's gonna fucking rule. But I, I think about that. Another movie, um, you know, friend friend of everything one hit Productions, Travis Woods did the great show Increment Vice about Inherent Vice, and I remember being in theater, a, a movie that also had a bit of a contentious you know release as far as like people loving the movie, hating the movie, whatever. But I just remember there's that you know the moment the doc is with Shasta and you know they've had their little a preliminary conversation in the movie and he goes out and she says watch your toes and she gets into his car and then vitamin c starts playing and you're like oh shit and then when the big neon inherent vice comes up i was like i love this movie i love it there's nothing else i need to see we're done this movie rules and you're like it- i'm on board whatever comes after this i'm on board it's I'm- like it needs you need to have that moment so yes. that you sort of like the movie has earned its way into your heart and you're it's just the rest of it is just cake it's like yeah, it's, that's it yeah. And it takes longer in some films, but yeah, like yeah. Miami Vice, that dun dun dun. That's <laughs> that's enough now. That's enough. But yeah. no, this um yeah, such a phenomenal scene. And it's so cool. Um, you know, the sight and sound list thing and, and for people who live online, um, it's become like this cycle of like, oh my god this is just going to be another argument, but I've, I try and flip it and go like, oh, this is another opportunity for me to talk to someone who I really like their tasted movies. So, you know, that's what I think about, Josh. <laughs> Seeing you actually put it on the list for Sight and Sound, I was like, yes, love that shit. And yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for them to give it a page so we can see who else all voted for it because I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, Bill, Bill Gerbiri, great friend of the show. We love him. A true mensch. Um, put heat on and then a p- couple of people the soy boys were like bilga why not black hat and then a couple of miami vice people were like bilga why not miami vice? he's like listen guys you know it was I'm the gonna... one if it was gonna make the list heat was the one yeah. i think it, yeah, I think he, it was he... the right call i just yeah. didn't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair that's absolutely fair so have you found and i would love to talk to you about this because you know about the harmony korean like diving into whether it's you know, exploitation films or horror films and things like that. Who are, who now, because you've so publicly like shouted out your love for Miami Vice, like who, who, where are the biggest surprises for you come in like the fandom and other filmmakers that have been influenced by it and stuff like that? Because the Harmony Karim one's a new one to me, um, uh, talking to you. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know if like, it, it, where are you hearing other influences or other filmmakers or other genres that you've like uh, been a, a genuine surprise to you? Uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm not part of my, my issue with, uh, what's been, what's happened with the Miami Vice thing is that you hear a lot of people who, you know, you'll find out a filmmaker really likes it. I mean, I think Spring Breakers, I think there's stuff that he's doing in there. That's definitely an approximation where I think for him, it was a lot of the hanging out on like the beaches and stuff like that. Like he wanted that, those, those colors in the sky and he wanted the, some of the grain structure of it. And so I, I, I kind of understand where he was coming from on that. Um, but my kind of issue is that I'm surprised that there's not more style influence. And I would hope that a a new generation of maybe digital filmmakers are on the way. 
that people are going to get tired with digital that tries to replicate what film looks like and that someone will just be like, no, let's use digital for its unique qualities and unique expressions that we can kind of get out of it. And kind of the best, weirdly enough, like approximation stylistically that I have been impressed with is just more of what uh, Dion Beebe does occasionally, which was weirdly enough, I think the only movie that kind of has action like this is the Michael Bay 13 hours movie. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of time for that. And the action, as far as the, um, the weird street light hues that are around the compounds and then going into certain rooms, like there's got these like weird, almost uh, like morgue colors. And you see them in like office buildings that are closing down or they have that like uh, reserve lights that they don't usually use during the day. Mm -hmm. They've only got these weird, weird like blues that look like the inside of a fridge. And then the lights on the outside of these like tungsten, you know, old style yellow, you know, um, plaque teeth pluck colored lights and the way that you're watching bodies move in spaces and shadow. Um, yeah, that's definitely a, a movie that there's, there's way more of a conversation Katie we've been learning on this show between Michael Bay and Michael Mann than I think people give it credit for like those two yeah. like, trying to outdo each other uh, with action. Cinema. Oh, ambulance straight up. That's what yeah. he was. He was, he was kind of like, no, this is my LA heist movie. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, go this for is it. My heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Jake and Jake Gyllenhaal is like please let me be the biggest Pacino of all time in that movie he's having a ball yeah. he's a great he's a great hang in that movie I well and, that and movie. both of them kind of have that tech fetish thing too and they're in their set pieces where yeah. there's a lot of focus on tools and equipment and the sort of the ingenuity of them and Bay obviously gets a little bit more attached to the the uh, troop worship aspect of it uh, yes. than than I you know than I think man does but it's not that man you know doesn't also respect the professionals uh i just think that he would uh when it comes to sort of larger geopolitical things i think he would take a little bit more of a cynical uh heroic route uh yeah. <laughs> to those subjects than 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 man would but but uh that's also part of what you know drives what i enjoy about man is some of the you know obsessions of things that i don't know about that all of a sudden i feel like i kind of i i feel like i get a little bit of uh of a look into that world watching his stuff one of my favorite things on the uh collateral uh commentary that he does and i don't know if you guys have listened to that and 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 know this but there's a there's a part in that it's probably about 10 minutes into the movie where he is talking about the backstory for the tom cruise vincent character yes and he basically goes on for about 20 minutes or so about this entire backstory that he wrote that basically never makes its way into the movie, but he conceived of it. And it's all about his relationship to like narco trafficking at the end of the Cold War. And I was like <laughs> sitting there going like, you know, he was bringing in like so much history. I would have had no idea that doesn't even make its way into the movie. But that's just, you know, that's what he talks about for like 20 minutes on that commentary track. Because it's, just, it's, uh, that that conversation then leads perfectly into it, like a 35 minute conversation about tailors in southeast asia that are copying yes. italian designers <laughs> and you're like and it's cheaper and they're sort of slightly they, they they're replicas so they don't understand the exact geometry of the human body to make them look like designer catwalk stuff they just take a little of the edges off they're a little bit flatter and you're like who knows the geometry of fucking Italian <laughs> suits enough to compare it to and the Asian like knockoffs. And he's like holding this all, he's holding all these different topics yeah. just right at the forefront, unless he's sitting there with a huge binder. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked to one of his assistants who I think had to put together the whole like Vincent backstory binder mm. and like, oh wow, the, you know, foster home he grew up in in the Midwest and like, getting the street right in the town in Ohio where he's from. And like, I mean, that's like the level of back, back, backstory he's going to. And yeah. And, and, and I always say Michael Bay always understands machines better than humans. And like, I love him for it. Like I love his movies and I love how he sort of has like almost like a sexual fetishistic relationship with like, automotives but and helicopters don't forget and helicopters. the helicopters, and helicopters it's, it's downright um, sexual in the la river that that but that scene i i think he has no concept of like human behavior but <laughs> and that's okay that's okay for me <laughs> i think man has a much greater grasp of like existentialism and human behavior and obsessiveness and you know what it all it's all fine everybody's got their own thing 
Yeah. Yeah. I've just always liked that he's he's managed to fit that into his characters and managed to like actually kind of emotionally express that. Because that's one of the things that's always been something you just have to wrestle with with Bay is a lot of the time you're like, I don't really know exactly what he's trying to emotionally express half the time. And and, and if you do figure it out, you're kind of like, oh, that might be a little gross, actually, now that I stop and think about that for a second. But with with, with man, there is a, a you know, a, a, on top of the technical realism of the professionals at work and on top of you know stylish stylishly abstracting their their emotional lives and the way they move through their physical worlds and everything it is ultimately at the end of the day meant to be this very deeply romantic thing and that's always been the conversations i've had with people who you know maybe aren't as they're like you know i i he's a good filmmaker but like like the best film and you know like are these really like the you know are these like are, are these really that great to you and part of when i finally kind of sit down and show it to people and i'm like yeah you kind of have to just buy into that this is a really sensitive kind of guy who will <laughs> believe he believes in love at first sight in the most macho way possible and you kind of just have to accept that and if you do i think that's when all of a sudden you know these sort of more impressionistic qualities of what he's doing and that you you know details fall to the wayside in in some plot especially in his digital era where he just you know straight up is just like yeah urban landscape is more important than like a plot detail sometimes in a film to him um you know i i think that you just need it's the wavelength like it's like if you feel it you feel it if you don't you don't but there is a way that you know i i found the the best description for people to get to convert people honestly has been that <laughs> and been like look there's some stuff that's a little silly and it's just you got to go with it he's an old guy from a different era and part of also what makes attracts me to miami vice also is that it is literally him updating this thing that he did two decades ago and completely, you know, uh, uh, changing it in, in a way, like still retaining that doomed romance, neon nighttime drive vibe that that show had, but like updating it for at the time, 2006. And part of the disappointment, I assume for a lot of people when it originally came out was that, you know, maybe they wanted the eighties neon cocaine music video vibe. And all of a sudden they were like, no, you have just another one of his very existential character pieces in an overly researched milieu of like <laughs> modern <laughs> geopolitics and narco trafficking and the 2000 sense of cool and uh, fashion, which is uh, probably appealing to people in a different way now. Perfect description. Yeah. Absolutely perfect yeah. description. Put it, put, put it on the letterbox. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, well, um. but, but, but Katie also, Katie has the great one of like, she's been saying like um and we recently thanks to one of our great listeners justin he he redid this the speech from train spotting after inspired by katie who was like choose vibes you know like yeah. Yeah. that's and that's that's <laughs> that's katie's like mantra choose vibes like this is what it is like choose vibes choose you know gong lee's face choose hot colin farrell like this yeah. is you just yep. have to accept it this is you're, you're making a choice and if you make the choice the beauty is in the fuzzy texture of yeah. it it's in yeah. The, yeah. the musicality of it like yes. move with it you know just just <laughs> go with it like we don't it, it doesn't all have to be like a science and i think that that's you you said it a few times katie like with all of the detailed research that he goes in he will almost impressionistically abandon it if the vibe says go with the vibe he's just like yeah. there on the set and it's like okay we've got all this stuff we know that she's a hyper intelligent chinese cuban money launderer that works for the biggest fictional that's probably based on about seven real guys like south american drug dealer international drug dealer and, and money launderer and probably human trafficker as well and this guy's an undercover cop with like a military background skill sets been in probably been into jail to help him like with his um fabricated identity but why don't we just watch him dance for like just five minutes and just be totally. hot as shit for like five that's minutes? That's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just like, oh, I'm going to abandon everything else. And that's exactly what the movie is in that moment. That's what it needs. Well, see, that that, that kind of stuff is what always reminds me of. Um, it's why I think about Malik when I think about this film a lot, too. You always hear those stories about how is it who who was the actor who has the story about Malik where he was delivering his big monologue or soliloquy. And then all of a sudden he realized Malik hadn't been filming him for five minutes minutes and then he had been, like <laughs> filming a beetle somewhere you, you, you uh, know, like you, in the, in the, the camera's just like over there you, you know yeah, 
I think it, that... it might even be Colin Farrell on New World, actually, <laughs> who might have said that. But like that, that to me is like man has a similar sensibility to that, where it's like if something pulls him in a certain direction because it's more expressive or he's feeling something or he's in the moment, he's like that takes priority because that is where the art is. That's where the feeling is. And, you know, like that is I will never look at that as like maybe yes, maybe on a objective level to some people, that's just a, it's an imperfection. But for me, it's just like not at all. I wish there was more of it. We'll be right back after this quick break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's two, there's two big ones. One is I got to speak to the great Donal Logue around Zodiac and he told me Terrence Malick stories. He came for the Thin Red Line to Australia and lived here for like a few months while they shot it in, in, in Queensland. Oh, wow. And he's not in the movie, guys. He's not even <laughs> in there. Like, he shot for months. He, he was living with all the guys and he like had one scene and Terrence was like, nah, it's out. And he just like, that's it. He lived there for months. <laughs> Val Kilmer in that movie, I think it's song to song. Like you see Val Kilmer in the background of like three scenes. I don't know if there's multiple cuts of that flick, but that Malik yeah. movie, you see him. And Val Kilmer apparently had like 20 minutes. He was a whole huge side show character. And you only see like one yep. moment in the movie where he picks his hair up and he cuts his hair. It's like one of his last performances before his, you know, terrible throat cancer, you know, affected his ability to perform. And, it's just gone. Like he's just not there. Like it's just not happening. So it's so hilarious that yeah, the Ma- the Malik of it all of um and Michael Mann. It's it's in those moments. It's like all right, this is where this is where the movie's going. It's going this but way. This is like this is my new like thing. Recently is like I'm just so over plot. I'm like this the who I am in my um cinematic taste at the moment. I'm just like I don't care about plot. I don't care about Easter eggs. I don't care about this tying to this. And maybe I'm just. It's the Marvel occasion of things, of cinema. I'm just like, I don't care how this ties into the cinematic universe. I just want locations. I want lighting. I want energy. I want eroticism. I just want like, you know, tangible things, expressive things, as you have said, uh, you know, that make me feel something and enjoy what I'm looking at rather than like whether or not you know, this is a plot hole or something is, you know, moving along at a, at a quick pace. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm so over plot. I'm like, fuck plot (laughs) these days. Yeah. And it's so rare to see someone like 100% fully commit to basically saying that on the budget level that Miami Vice got. And which is why probably we will have a very difficult time seeing that again at some point um maybe the closest we can get is james cameron spending an entire middle part of his new avatar film just ingesting the beauty of the world that he's created and just (laughs) swimming around with his new buddies and you know having a good time but even he has to you know commit to a formula and he's good at it but it's just like the formula has to be there and one of the things i've always appreciated about man is that the formula for him i think is just the the signifiers it's like you know you people know what a sort of macho genre piece is and i think that's what something he's always kind of cashed in on is that you know even as early as thief and manhunter there was there was context for getting the money to sell this to people being like people like crime movies people like stories about thieves there's an inherent suspense and thrill to it it's very easy to pull people in on that level and it's just so crazy that someone at this point in their career was able to, you know, get as much clout as they did. And they were like, yeah, but what if I just like shot the cop movie that everyone knows because of the great suits and cars and guns. And it was more like Beau Travai, or it was more like <laughs> fallen angels and everyone just lo- loses their minds in yeah. both good and bad ways. <laughs> no, I love that. I think, I think both Cameron and man like use 
genre and storytelling, uh, genre storytelling to their creative ends. Cause I love mm -hmm. that the plot of Avatar too is like the most basic or like it's, it's, you, you're like, I know what this is. It's like father and son, it's bad guy, good guy. It's like, it's basically Titanic at the end. And you know, it's just like, I just love that he's like, I'm going to make this very broad and like not have to like go into it too much because you can just follow it because you know the formula already. And like, that's going to allow me to have an hour of swimming on the planet with the whale friend. There's a great um, indigenous filmmaker who I'm always shouting out whenever I can named Ivan Sen in Australia, who's made a couple of my favorite movies. He's made um mystery road and its sequel goldstone which i've sort of they've had a tv series so it's sort of gone international but the great thing is it's just an indigenous detective in australia and so it's got like a hook like okay it's a detective he's an outside yeah. it's an outsider detective everyone's very familiar with that and then it's like he's just hunting down in the first one there's a dead indigenous girl and he's hunting down the killers and then in the second one he's hunting for a missing girl and um within that it becomes this incredible tapestry of like firstly the artistry and this impressionistic view of like this indigenous guy and viewing the landscape and his relationship to it but it's also got this great political socio-political commentary that's happening and the formula then just disappears and it just becomes this hugely impressionistic thing and i just like i'm just such a fan because like i've been saying uh when you look through his filmography there's like four or five just like road movies that are like mystery sort of deal and i'm just like yes give him more money to just do this year's version of that like that it, right. he then does a like philosophy kind of essay um naturalistic thing that he does um but yeah it's i, I feel like genre gets such a it's usually it, it feels like it was the dirtiest word from for a long time and now it's like no this is where it the fun is can we just know that we're going to go out and see a crime thriller and it's going to be sexy and sensual and weird and have weird and philosophy. enjoy the vibes yeah, the wavelength. choose vibes yes. choose vibes <laughs> um katie's american cinematech hat reminded me of something um yeah. my kids are six and four and uh usually we watch bluey in australia which is the great cartoon most nights before they get to bed but I showed my son the Natu Natu dance from Triple R, and now he wants to watch that every night before he goes to oh, bed. Oh <laughs> my and, god! And so now he dances, and his sister dances with him, and 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 I started to show them a couple of other scenes, but the movie is like horrendously violent in other parts, so I can't show them the whole movie. <laughs> but I just show him like the tiger chase with Beam, and then I show um, oh, nice. the, them saving the little boy. And my daughter last night she was like, "Dad, did this actually happen?" And I go, oh, "Yeah, it's based on elements of like two revolutionaries at a time." And she's like, "Oh, but what parts of the movie are real?" And what parts like actually happened? And I go, doesn't matter. Yes. Just yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. Who cares? No, not many people can catch a tiger, sweetie. Just enjoy it. You have to love, you know, <laughs> trying to explain certain things of media to like a six-year-old because they're like, why don't they like this person? What's happening? And you're just like, because they're mean. Like, you don't want to tell them something too Because colonialism, like sweetheart. Yes. Dad, what's colonialism? Oh, shit. It's going to be a four-hour yeah. conversation and she's not going to retain any of it. But yeah, it's just vibes. Choose the vibes. Choose those yeah. things. Um, mm -hmm. Life is short. Life is short. Choose vibes. <laughs> Josh, have you ever thought when you're watching this, and I think for the last couple of years, um, we've kind of a couple of times we're talking about it, but I wanted to talk to you about it, is like, has there ever been a universe where you could ever see that they would ever make a sequel to this? Or is this just done? Like, cause I keep looking at it and a few people have asked me this question and I always remind them like, if you want to see something funny, watch these two guys talk to each other on the press trail about how excited they are about working with each other or maybe another Miami Vice. And it, it's the fakest exchange between two human beings that has ever happened ever. And I just wonder like now, Colin Farrell, Academy Award, multiple now Academy Award nominated actor, maybe comes away with the win. Jamie Foxx, Academy Award winner. Michael Mann's making heat again. Like, is there ever a world where this, where people start to look at the frothy internet love for this movie and go, why didn't we do another one of these? Know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I in in an ideal world, I would love to be optimistic about it. My My gut instinct tells me that our best case scenario is that 
man gets a a, a miniseries TV show uh, reboot again uh, yes. in at, at some point, and he probably just executive produces it and picks some young guy that he likes to to look it over, and they pick two young actors or whatever. I Comedy I do get the feeling Miami Vice. <laughs> I'd watch that. Well, he was supposed to make a movie a long time ago called The Trap, which he was saying was his Miami Vice. It was gonna have like Idris Elba as a guy who like just got out of uh, uh, prison or something like that. It was sounded really interesting, but. Yeah, if if uh, that's that's my best bet for a continuation of that, may you know, with with the the success of Heat Two as a book, maybe at some point that's what he has to go back to to get money. I don't know if he wants to do it. it felt to me, and maybe you guys know know more about it, but like when this whole sort of like Tokyo Vice into Heat Two into Ferrari, which is his first movie not being made by a major studio in I don't know how long. Um, it feels like he was on a bit of like, uh, look, I know what happened with my last movie. Um, <laughs> I can bring something in on time, on budget. I can. There's interest in my catalog due to heat. Uh, I can deliver you a pilot. I'm I'm ready. Some actor will sign on. I've had a project in development for almost a decade now for this Ferrari one, and so I I don't know. It, it felt to me like he was kind of trying to go on the press tours to be like, I can, I'm still here. I'm still around. I can make something. And I have a feeling that he only goes back to heat too. If it's like Ferrari doesn't do well or something. And it's like, it's what he has to do. Heat two is happening. It's happening. We can <laughs> I would love it. for it to happen. We can, we can, Offers we, are out. <laughs> we can, we can tell you that Katie and I have, we have thanks to our show. So many random and very well informed people <laughs> we that do. just to just slide in and go just to let you know, bang. But is like, it is it Timmy? Is it Timmy? As we can't uh, say, well, we don't know. No, for sure. what we but say, both is it, we know is we know that Heat Two is happening. This is what okay. I want to say, Katie, and this is, this is good news Josh, because people, you know, people who might be new to the show because they're listening because Josh is on. So, firstly, welcome. Secondly. I happened to be in New York City at that heat screening where Pacino joked that it was Timmy. And the big argument that I want to tell people is he also suggested that Harry Styles play Neil McCauley because De Niro's a song and dance man. This was his exact quote. I was And it was a joke. And it was a joke. (laughs) And the entire audience howled, including the thirstiest bunch of like old women who are so into Al Pacino that you've just never seen it. It was like being on like Magic Mike Double XL. It was just Incredible. unbelievable. And so when he said that, the whole crowd like howled. I was sitting next to my great friend Jordan Harper, whose book everybody knows is behind me, and we were just like laughing our butts off at that. And even Bill Gaberi, the great legend that he is, who was moderating, was like, "That's hilarious!" Like De Niro, the song and dance man, Harry Styles. And I'm like, "It's not hap. It's never going to be shallow. All you people are just insane. What are you talking about? Like." He's firstly, he's too small. He's like not a big actor, like with the greatest respect. He's not the Heat 2 is going to come out when Heat. Who's too small? Chalamet. No, I oh, mean, like as, too as, young. As fame, yeah. No, fame. Like, oh, they, th- this is the thing that we've come out of the Heat 2 book club. And what we're hearing is like Heat 2 is going to go out and it's going to go to, and offers are going to go to people like Christian Bale. Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, like the biggest right. freaking actor, Colin Farrell. The, the two biggest... two guys you haven't seen in a movie together yet. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're gonna have the biggest damn actors in the world are gonna get this in, uh, get offers out to them, and one of them almost worked with Man because it was like the um, Aviator was Man's project for the longest time. He developed it. He cast DiCaprio. Well, we don't he know that Leo, We don't know that DiCaprio is in. This movie. I'm, I'm saying the biggest <laughs> actors in the world are going to get offered. So when I said the biggest actors <laughs> in the world, I'm like, I'm just, DiCaprio. you heard it here first. It's been confirmed. I'm just Leonardo DiCaprio. Caveating <laughs> that we don't know this. We're just, we're just speculating. We don't, we don't know, but I'm like the biggest. Who are the if the biggest actors in the world are like DiCaprio or like the Tom Hardys of the world or whoever they are, that's who's going to get it first. It's not going to be Tom too, Holland. It's. Oh <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just pulling your leg. Oh my god. <laughs> Do you know how much that would hurt me? Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in me too. And Knock. Zendaya is playing <laughs> Charlene. Uh, well, I mean, De Niro and Pacino were were big '70s guys, so you'd have to be looking at the guys who were around in the '90s. You'd have to be looking at the Damons, the Brad Pitts, you know, like yeah, all those the guys, guys who've been around since then. Yeah, all those guys <laughs> are going to get an offer. 
Yeah, all those guys are going to get an offer in the mail. But we just and know the, it's not Timothy Chalamet we, or Harry Styles. That's not. We right. had uh, Uncle Man doesn't friend. even know who they are. Yeah, right. We had uh, on our Discord one of our our guys bring up that Austin Butler was on um, Mark Maron's podcast, and he was like mentioning, "Oh, oh yeah, I've been watching Heat, love Heat. I'm going to watch Thief or something like that." And some, you know, film blogger ran with this and was like, is Austin Butler in, in Heat too? And you know, listen, I've been banging the drum for Austin Butler for months now, but I also think literally every young actor in Hollywood is, is you know, reading for this, is reading for Chris um, and Jericho and all those roles. So I just, I'm just like, I think literally everyone is like brushing up on Damn. their, their Michael Mann, but anyway. We'll see, but it is definitely happening. It's That's happening. all I'll say. <laughs> and he's also getting old. That's the sucky thing, Josh. It's like what the coolest thing of the last couple of years has been is going Tokyo Vice Pilot. He's executive producing the show. The show was terrific. Heat 2 and now Ferrari. And we know that it's finished, which is amazing. And it's coming out yep. this year, which is also amazing. Like the fact that the shoot was only like three months in Italy and it's done. Um, I was waiting for the news any day that someone was like, it went over budget. Yeah. They're pulling it. The <laughs> This is this is why I love European. He didn't like, get the shots he needed, and Adam Driver is moving on to the Coppola. I was like, oh no, it's, it's gonna. <laughs> Every day I was waking up. <laughs> Every day you're lighting a candle. You're like, this yeah. is for the end of production on Ferrari. We yeah. can see in, yeah. we can see in Josh's home studio one of those huge things that's usually reserved for a Catholic church with candles. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. day of the production, yeah. he's just lit a new candle. <laughs> I love that. Um, no, but yeah, I, I was, I had the same fears. I was like, oh shit, especially because like manheads who are out there, like have heard about how long he's wanted to do a Ferrari picture. And you know, then we thought it might go by the wayside when Ford versus Ferrari came out with Mangold and you're like, oh no, this is gone again. It's another one. Um, but it's very exciting that it's actually in the can and man's in LA. We've had reports that he's been cited driving through LA. Um, uh, so editing this movie. So we know that it's coming out, which is super exciting. Um, so let's go. Look, Josh, it has been an absolute treat talking to you, man. Thank you so much for being um, a part of uh, the show. And secondly, thank you so much for being just like uh, a, a vice warrior out in the world. Um, it's really fun to watch. No, thank um, both of you. Uh, oh, it's it's just, it's fun to watch and it's great to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Um, do you want to uh, do a proper plug for all of the stuff that you've got going on just so folks know where to find you? We'll obviously link it in the show notes, but we just love if you've got anything to plug, please give us a shout out. Yeah, sure. I mean, the main thing, uh, Sleezoids. Every week we are double featuring some genre and exploitation movies of uh, some kind. We've been on a little bit of an Eastwood and a Stone kick uh, recently where we were talking about uh, like Iger Sanction in the Line of Fire we were talking about with Eastwood. And we just did Oof. an episode on Play Misty for Me and Talk Radio, uh, you, which you, you two might relate to as the original podcasters were radio hosts <laughs> and... We uh we we joked on that episode. We were like, please nobody like use these characters as like a model for what you're going to be doing uh, in in the future. But yeah, if you like the intersection of of genre and like you know artistic expression through style and through filmmaking, that is usually what we are on the hunt for. We don't always find it. You know, sometimes you're going to go into the bottom of an 80s barrel and you're going to pull out something just nasty and it tastes bad. Um, <laughs> But on the other hand, every once in a while, you're going to go in there and you're going to find a movie like, I don't know, I, I another movie uh, that someone asked me to talk about recently on their podcast was this movie called Cop from 1988 with James Woods, oh my God. Uh, directed by James B. Harris, who was Stanley Kubrick's producer for many, many years. And uh, it's one of those movies I'm now starting to get associated with because I just I love it so much. It's like my favorite Dirty Harry sequel because it's just the most repulsive right-wing film I've ever seen. <laughs> James Woods is in prime slime ball mode and James Elroy is writing it who's a bit of a psycho in his own way and it's just it was a meeting of three beautiful minds all in one place <laughs> and so like that's the kind of stuff I'm on the hunt for and that we're looking for at Sleezo's. If you have any interest that's what we're always doing every there trying to find those kinds of movies. Sounds fantastic. Can we ask yeah. you one favor? Yeah. What's your ultimate Miami Vice double feature you've got a program Miami Vice what are you putting with it good question oh 
I might need to actually think about that. What is what are what are your guys' options? Like I'm assuming you probably had to say it before, but like we, no, be... this is the first time this I've, the I've first heard time. of this. This is the first oh, time. This okay. moment. Like, you're, okay, well, you're, 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 I, I want I want to hear yours first. Then at, you know? at the top of the show, show me. you said one which is so hard to like escape. So I'm going to try and sidestep it, which I think that the Miami Vice Spring Breakers double feature. Yeah, that would have been my like, immediate one, but I've kind of already said that. It, you you know, said so. that. That's an absolute banger. Let's say that you know if you don't have an answer, that's enough. But I was just like as you were thinking about double features you know i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think of city stories because that's the big thing it's like it's such of a place and of a piece and of these two characters going down different ways there's so many different directions that you could take yeah. this because my mind went you know like if i wanted to do a precursor to some of the things that i think he's doing stylistically i might go like to live and die in la yes um just because you have a little bit of that you know very very sort of saturated uh over stylization and sort of like music video kind of quality a little bit to that obviously you have the connection with peterson and man there as well but honestly part of me wants to even just say like if you want to go full into the character uh sort of the sort of romantic tragedy qualities um of it and almost the you know uh de-glamorization which is, i think is honestly a huge part of why miami vice was also partly partially rejected because two decades later he was he's a little bit mature he was a little bit more weary and despairing about the work that those kind of characters would do and the world that those characters would inhabit it's more lonely and ugly and lethal to him i think in 2006 versus the 1980s um so part of me wants to say james gray we own the night yeah great nice. that's one. a good one really that's good a one. good one yeah Katie? um i would i i mean listen my ultimate double feature is scarface and spring breakers if yeah, we're going to the south florida of it yeah. all yes um Full overindulgence <laughs> um but i mean what about scarface and miami vice that could that's be a, it. that's a good one i mean I one know. of my favorite quotes ever about scarface is uh pauline kales where she basically called it like uh so sort of like feverish and hot-headed that it was basically like uh like the gangster version of like a leone thing so i can see it i'm obsessed with scarface like it's <laughs> i'm so obsessed it's an incredible it. re incredibly rewatchable movie on pure style alone which yeah. also would be a why it would maybe work as a double <laughs> i'm like obsessed with scarface because of i mean i love De palma but like also because of the way that it has become like this the sh the trails of it throughout the culture like mm -hmm. um the whole the world is yours thing that has like permeated like all of like 90s hip-hop and like it just I, I if you were ever in the world and you see a bar where they say the world is yours and like there's a picture of al pacino <laughs> you have to take a picture of it and send it to me this goes to everyone <laughs> i was in freaking tbilisi georgia the republic of georgia last year and there was a huge neon sign that said the world is yours i'm like wow Fucking Scarface has made it to Georgia. <laughs> it was like written in English and in um and in Georgian, which is like this crazy language. And it was like a neon sign. And I'm like, I just love its like cultural tendrils that it has like lasted for so long. And I also think there's a certain aspect of that to Miami Vice too, of like the show, the movie, the like everyone just instantly thinks of like the windbreakers and the Ray-Bans and I don't know. I just think it's interesting to kind of play with those ideas of like how it becomes the, the concepts become so abstracted, like the farther out and they go, you know, is, is, mm -hmm. um, so the departed is one of my favorite Scarface riffs as well, because mm -hmm. that has the whole like world is yours, um, kind of deal. I, I think I've found it a profit. Right? Yes. yes, a prophet. <laughs> That's my double feature for my advice. Just because of place, okay. because of intensity, because of like coming out into this world that is completely hostile, um, completely different kind of movie. But I just love that like underworld feel because like Miami Vice, you're, it's, the connection is like more um, manufactured because you're like going in there for a purpose but this is someone who's like getting drawn into an underworld and shit gets really real really quickly so i'm gonna say a prophet in miami vice um as a nice double feature just to to mix it up but i still i still think that spring break is miami vice is a yeah is a banger like that's that's as good as it <laughs> that's gets. the best one these are our like runners up <laughs> run, run, runners but up. i do that really like so the good. we own the night 
I mean, we they're the all good. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah we own the night as if you want like the, the 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 more sort of macho codes of brotherhood, and you want the tragedy of it and the romance of it, and Spring yeah. Breakers as if you want the free flowing vibe of it all. If yeah. you if that if that's what interests you more about it, yeah, totally. And you could do Copland Miami Vice too. Do a bit of Copland Miami Vice if you want a little bit of uh, pivoting between <laughs> outlooks of policing. <laughs> if you want to get that, you definitely get that josh it's been a treat talking to you man thank you so much for uh, being on the show um it's been a, it's it's been great we'll no shout problem. out it's uh, my pleasure uh that and uh people follow josh for sometimes you know just some fantastic threads on miami vice on twitter and you know adding some positivity into the world absolutely Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.